Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, which means if you've never been to church, walked away from the church, or are struggling to find a church to connect with, you belong here. Before getting into Sunday's message, we have something big coming up that we would love for you to know about. On September 18th, Collective is celebrating its fifth birthday, and we'd love for you to join us. After second service, there'll be a food truck, inflatables, a dunk tank, and a ton more. So mark your calendars and make sure to follow us on social media at My Collective Church to stay in the loop. Now let's get into Sunday's message. A few months ago, friends of ours were going through their basement, and they found an old Nintendo Wii. It hadn't been played for over five years, but they hooked it up and still worked like it was 2006 and fresh out of the box. And so one night, we're over for dinner, and our oldest, Elise, saw it and asked if she could play. And I'm not going to lie, this kind of felt like a dream come true for me. As a parent, you often think and dream about teaching your kids about the things that you love and getting to enjoy them together. And it felt like this was going to be one of those moments. And so I looked through the pile of games. I grabbed Mario Kart because I thought it would be easy to play and a ton of fun. Plus, I could share in the nostalgia of playing Super Mario Kart when I was her age. And so I handed her the controller, and I began to talk her through how to play. But with a ton of seven-year-old attitude, she said, Dad, I can figure it out. This girl had literally never played a video game before in her life. She didn't even know what Mario Kart was until I dropped the disc into the console. She thinks you drive cars like this. And so she was doomed, so I tried to explain it to her again, but she hit start. And man, did she suck at this game. For the next five minutes, she just slammed herself into a wall over and over and over again. It started because she was looking at the wrong screen, so she thought she was doing well. Uh, Eventually, it was because she just couldn't figure out how to play. Thankfully, her friend was lapping her and crossed the finish line, putting her out of her go-kart misery. And her race ended, and she actually began to cry. And she said, I hate this game. I never want to play it again, crushing all the dreams that I had of teaching my children to love video games and play with me. Today, we're continuing in our series called Level Up, where we are learning spiritual lessons from video games. It is possible, and it is what we're doing. Uh, Specifically, we're learning about habits that can help us with our faith. And the games in this series are simply serving as parables or metaphors. And last week, we talked about the game NBA Jam and what to do when our faith isn't on fire and we feel like we're missing every shot that we take. And today, we're talking about Mario Kart. The original Super Mario Kart game came out in 1992, and there are over 14 different versions, and they've sold over 164 million copies of the game worldwide. Mario Kart's been put on every major Nintendo console from Super Nintendo all the way up to the Switch, and it's the fourth highest grossing Nintendo franchise of all time. Mario Kart is huge. McDonald's has released Happy Meal toys on the game. There's a Mario Kart-themed version of Monopoly. There's Hot Wheel cars based on the game. Even Cold Stone, two years ago, put out Mario Kart-themed desserts. And so even if you've never played the game before, chances are you've probably heard a thing or two about it. And the number one question that people ask whenever you talk about the game is, who's your character? Who do you race with? And so we're going to do this applause style. I'm going to run through the list, and I want you to clap or shout out whenever your favorite character gets mentioned. If you were playing Super Mario Kart right now, who would you choose, okay? So let's start with Mario. Stop. No one at first there was clapped either, man. He's the icon. Poor Mario. Okay, what about Princess? Oh, goodness, guys. This is going to be a long day. Bowser? Okay. 
Uh, Koopa Troopa, he's the guy in the top right. Okay, Luigi. That makes no sense. All right, Yoshi. Okay. All right, all right, all right. I'm figuring this out. Toad, anybody? Toad? Okay, and then Donkey Kong? Okay. Uh, I grew up playing with Yoshi because I always thought he was the fastest one. Uh, doing research for this sermon, I actually found there are articles written by mathematicians that broke down like the speed of these characters, and they found that Bowser and Donkey Kong are actually the best ones to play with. But we all know secretly, right, because you guys all clapped for this one, it's Yoshi. He's the best. And so Mario Kart is a really fun game to play, especially when you're winning, right? When you're winning the race, it's great. But when you are losing especially the way that Elise was, the game is infuriating. Some of you have cried playing Mario Kart before. Right? When you're in the lead, the strategy is simple. You stay focused, you stay on the course, you avoid the traps. But the same is true when you're losing. If you want to catch up, the best way to do that is to stay focused and stay on the course and avoid the traps. But that's really hard to do when you're at the back of the pack. And so if you've played the game before and you're losing, what does the game do when you're falling behind? It tries to convince you to take shortcuts, right? There's these flashing arrows that tell you, come this way, it's easier. If you go this way, it's faster and you can catch up, right? But we know in the game especially, that's not the way that it works. The shortcuts are risky at best. The paths are often so treacherous that if you don't do them perfectly, you fall further and further behind in the race. And some of the shortcuts are so dangerous that if you mess up, you fall off the map and they send you back to the beginning again, completely getting rid of your chance of winning. And this is true in life too. When things get tough, when the race is hard, we are tempted to take shortcuts in our faith, in our marriage, in our career, but there are no shortcuts in life. More importantly, there are no shortcuts when it comes to our faith and our relationship with God. The problem is that we as people, we love shortcuts. Just the other day, I saw a video on social media saying that you can get four hours of sleep, but feel like you got eight. And this person went on to explain that if you just wear socks to bed, then it regulates your body temperature, it does all these things. And then a scientist was like, no, it doesn't. It's not actually true. It doesn't help you. Also, doctors and sleep scientists will tell you that the best way to feel like you got eight hours of sleep is to get eight hours of sleep. Right? And that you shouldn't take shortcuts when it comes to your sleep because it's so important to your mental and physical and emotional health. Pyramid schemes exist because we want to take, take shortcuts to make money. This product exists because we want to get a shortcut to get abs. <laughs> this is real, okay? Google it. Order it, I guess, if you want to. Um, we need to take that off. That's gross. Uh, sorry, sorry. I don't want any of you to stumble, so let's take that away. Right? We as people, we love, I'm like afraid it's up there. We love shortcuts, right? We do. And so here's what we're going to do today. Last week, we read a story from the Old Testament that created a tension. And then we read a story from Jesus that, that uh, provided a solution. This week, we're going to read a story about Jesus that provides attention, and then we're gonna look at the Old Testament for the solution. And so we're gonna start in Matthew 3, and Jesus is about to start his ministry on earth, meaning up to this point, he hasn't really done any miracles, any healings, anything like that. He hasn't even really begun telling people that he is the son of God. And to kick all of this off, to kick his ministry on earth off, he heads to the Jordan River and he gets baptized. And this is what it says in Matthew 3, starting in verse 15. It says this, but Jesus said, 
It should be done, for we must carry all out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize him. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Right? This is an incredible moment. Right? It's an incredible moment for Jesus. It's an incredible moment for our faith. Like Jesus gets baptized. He gets dunked in the Jordan River to carry out what God requires. Then God says to him, he sends a dove down that symbolizes the Holy Spirit. He says to him, you are my son, and I love you, and you bring me joy. A side note, for those of you who come here every Sunday and you hear us talking about baptism every week and you're wrestling with this next step, this is one of the reasons why, this story is one of the reasons why we think you should take the next step and get baptized, right? This story should help you get to that point, right? Jesus was baptized to carry out what God asked of him, and we should do the same thing. I genuinely think it's that simple. If Jesus is your leader, so much of getting baptized is following his lead and being obedient to what God asks of us. Right? And so if you're one of those people who's been on the fence about this for a while and you hear these types of stories or you hear us talking about it, right, we encourage you every single week to check the baptism box in your connection card so we can have a conversation about this. This isn't to convince you anything. We just know when you hear these stories, you start to wrestle. But your faith is your faith. We're just here to help you wrestle with those things. Try to figure out what obedience to Christ looks like in your life and how baptism plays a part in that. Right? And we want to walk with you through that. So back to the story. Jesus gets baptized. And like we talked about last week, this is a mountaintop moment. This is a peak moment for Jesus. But also, like last week, we discussed that it doesn't last because our faith is never all peaks and no valleys. So check out what immediately happens to him in Matthew 4, verse 1. It says this, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. Let's pause and talk about this for a second. In the Bible, Jesus talks a lot about Satan or the devil and who he is and what he does. And Jesus refers to him as the adversary and the deceiver, and the tempter, and the enemy. In John 10.10, Jesus says this, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And so Satan's goal is to steal, kill, and destroy our faith, and our hope, and our joy, and our relationships, and our mental, emotional, spiritual, all of those things. But Jesus's goal is to give us a full life here on this earth, and forever and eternity. It's quite the juxtaposition, isn't it? And so throughout the biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus teaches us that one of the main tools used by the devil to trip us up are lies. That's why Jesus is called Satan, the father of lies, in John 8. And one of the lies that he tells us is that we should take shortcuts, that we should cut corners, that there's an easier way to experience God's peace and his hope, that there's a better way to experience life to the full. And that's what Satan tries to do to Jesus in this story. He offers him shortcuts. Check this out. Verse 2 says this, For 40 days and 40 nights he fasted and became very hungry. During that time, the devil came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. Right? And so Satan tells him, if you're hungry, go ahead and take this shortcut. Right? You can do this. Turn it into bread. We actually talked a little bit about this last week when people came to Jesus and said the exact same thing. Right? Give us this bread. But this is how Jesus responds. He says, no, 
The scriptures say, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, he will order his angels to protect you, and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Again, tempting him to take another shortcut. Throw yourself off the temple to prove you are the son of God. Right? Don't do what your plan is to live a perfect life, to die and resurrect from dead. Do something easier. Throw yourself off the temple and prove you are the son of God and God loves you. Take this shortcut. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. And so for a third time, the devil comes to him and said, hey, take this shortcut. Right? You want these kingdoms. You want these people. Don't die for them. Just bow down to me, and I'll give you everything that you want. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told them. For the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Simplifying this as much as I can, Jesus is going through a trial. He hasn't eaten for 40 days and 40 nights. He's alone in the desert, and Satan is doing everything he can to break him, to get him to ignore scripture and take shortcuts. Right? This is what Satan does. He tempts us to not trust God, to not believe God, to disobey God, to be our own God, to take shortcuts. So here's the first takeaway that I want you to write down today. No one is exempt from trials. No one is exempt from trials. Jesus wasn't exempt from trials, right? Jesus wasn't exempt from hard times, so we won't be either. Faith in Jesus doesn't make us exempt. In fact, this story kind of proves that the opposite is true. Faith means we will have trials. And so there's this lie in Christianity that once you start following Jesus, once you get baptized, once you start obeying Christ, that problems go away. And that is a lie. And some of you have fed, been fed that lie and you doubt your own faith because of that, right? You have gone through trials or you are going through trials and someone said you wouldn't be going through those trials if your faith was strong enough. And it's just not true. One of the main teachings of Jesus is that we will experience hard things in our lives. And now some of those things are caused by our own sin. Like we messed up, that's on us. Some of those things are caused by other people and their sin. And some are just because this world is fallen. So we feel the impact of that. Either way, trials are a part of life. And here's what's true per Jesus. In those trials, Satan will do everything he can to trip us up even more. He will tell you that there is a shortcut that you can take that will make everything better again. So here's the second thing to write down. In our trials, we will be tempted to take shortcuts, to cheat, to lie, to cut corners, but there are no shortcuts to getting to where both you and God want you to be. There are no shortcuts to life to the fullest, right? I've tried to find those, they don't exist. But do you know what I've found? There is a way to make our journey much longer and much harder and full of more pain and brokenness. And most of you know this already, right? You already knew that before you came here today because of what has happened in your own life. I mean, how many times can we look back over our lives, the last year, the last decade, whatever, and looking back, realize my life would be much different if I had gone left instead of right, if I had just run away, 
instead of thinking I can handle this, if I would have just done what I knew was right and should have done in that moment, if I would have just believed and trusted and pursued what God wanted for my life, right? instead of listening to everyone else or everything else or even that voice inside of our own head. And because of that, we ended up with a life that isn't truly life. It's something else. It's a lie. So what do we do? If we're not exempt from trials, and in those trials, Satan is going to do everything he can to take advantage of us so he can kill, steal, and destroy the good and life-giving things in our lives, what do we do? Right? What do we do when he gives us shortcuts that ultimately we all know lead to dead ends? What do we do? Well, it's very simple. Don't take shortcuts. Let's pray. I'm just kidding. It's not that simple. It's never that simple. I know. We wish. <laughs> Here's the real application. When life is hard, you dig a ditch. When life is hard, you dig a ditch. And let me explain. This comes from a story that has shaped the culture of this church in major ways. It's a story that I share with my staff regularly. It's a story that I teach to church planters that I coach. Um, it's one that we regularly remind our team of who serve here on Sunday mornings. And this comes from the book of 2 Kings and the Old Testament. Uh, in the Old Testament, there's a book called 1 Kings and 2 Kings. They're ultimately the same book. People just split them in half so it's easier to read. Uh, and this, these books are stories of the history of Israel. And ultimately, it chronicles the kings of Israel who ruled until, until they were conquered by the Babylonians. And in this story, the kings of Israel, Judah, and Edom have united for a battle against the king of Moab, who's, who's revolted against them. But before they ever get into battle, something bad happens. They hit a trial, and they need God to act. And so this is where we're going to pick it up. 2 Kings 3, verse 9, it says this. So the king of Israel set out with the king of Judah and the king of Edom. After a roundabout march of seven days, the army had no more water for themselves or for the animals with them. So they're traveling to this war, and they run out of water. The wilderness that they're in is a very unforgiving place. The creek beds are dry. And reality begins to set in to them and the troops that they're going to die before they ever get there. Right? Before they ever get to the fight, they're going to die. The story continues, what, exclaimed the king of Israel, has the Lord called us three kings together only to deliver us into the hands of Moab? How real is this moment that as soon as they get into real trouble, they begin to believe that God isn't with them. Right? They set out on this journey confident in God and his promise to deliver them against the common enemy. But as soon as things get hard, right, as soon as things get tough, they begin to doubt God. They begin to lose their faith. Right? And that's just an aside, but we do that as well, so I want to point it out. Story continues, but Jehoshaphat asked, is there no prophet of the Lord here through whom we may inquire of the Lord? An officer of the king of Israel answered, Elisha, son of Shaphat, is here. He used to pour water onto the hands of Elijah. Now that phrase, pour water on the hands, just means that Elisha was Elijah's apprentice. He served under him. And both of these guys were prophets, which would speak on behalf of God. What God would do is he'd communicate a message to them, and then they would go prophesy. They'd go bring that message to the people of Israel. And so they want to find Elijah so he can speak to God, and he can ask God, God, what do we do? And then he can bring this message back to the kings. Skipping ahead a few verses, verse 15 starts like this. It says, but now bring me a harpist. I don't know why Elijah asks for this. I just put it in there because I think it's interesting. Uh, I think he's trying to set the mood, right? And if he had to choose between like soft, subtle or like driving music, I think this is pretty epic. So he's like, bring me the harpist, play that beat, let's go. While the harpist was playing, the hand of the Lord came on Elisha. This is what the Lord says, make this valley full of ditches. For this is what the Lord says, you will see neither wind nor rain, 
Yet this valley will be filled with water, and you, your cattle, and your other animals will drink. This is an easy thing in the eyes of the Lord. Oh, oh, by the way, he will also deliver Moab into your hands. Right? And so Elisha speaks to God. God says, here's the message. Tell them this. Dig a ditch. Dig a ditch, and the water will come. And you know the kings don't want to hear this. Right? They, they want a shortcut. They want Elijah to snap his finger in water to show up. But Elijah tells them, this is what God says, dig a ditch throughout this valley. And this is an easy work. They didn't have Home Depot down the road. They didn't have backhoes. But Elijah says, do the hard work. And then let's watch God move. When I was in high school, I went on a mission trip to Honduras. And there's a small Christian school that we were connected with there. And they'd asked for a team of people to come out to kind of put together some desks and chairs as they got ready for this new school year. But when we arrived, the plans had changed a little bit. Instead of putting together desks and chairs, we were asked to dig a hole that was five feet deep and eight feet wide in the dry, rocky soil of Honduras so they can put in an underground water tank. It's like 1,100 gallons of water could fit there. And all we had were beat down shovels and pickaxes. And so for seven days, we dug, and we dug, and we dug. It was some of the hardest work I've ever done in my life. And this is what God asks us to do. When we are in trials, he asks us to do the hard work, to dig ditches, in our marriage, in our recovery, in our mental health, in our families, in our faith. We do the hard work so God can do what is easy for him to do. When it comes to our mental health, when we are struggling, we can take shortcuts. We can get our mental health advice on TikTok. Uh, Just so you know, you shouldn't do that. Uh, Some of you do, and I'm just calling you out for it. Like TikTok's not a good place to learn about your mental health. In fact, it's doing the opposite, but that's just a whole other thing, right? So we can go to get our mental health advice from TikTok. We can try to do therapy through osmosis from our friend who goes and try to pick up on their keywords so that we can be well. We can make excuses that we don't have time or we don't have money, and this is just a season of our life. Or we can dig a ditch. We can be vulnerable, and we can set up a call, and we can set up an appointment. We can go, and we can do the homework that they give us. We can do the hard work and watch God move. When it comes to our marriage, when we hit a rough patch, we can take shortcuts and we can seek out attention and affection outside of our marriage. We can vent, which is really just gossiping with our friends and coworkers about our spouse behind their back, or we can dig a ditch. We can sit down with our spouse and we can choose honesty and vulnerability and let them know that we are struggling to feel seen and cared for. We can go even deeper than that and be real about how the pain we are feeling has been deep within our soul since we're kids, and it's coming out in our marriage. We can do the hard work and watch God move. For those of you who are single and you want to be married, and this is a hard season for you, you can take shortcuts, you can move in together, you can start sleeping together, you can play marriage without the true commitment, or you can dig a ditch and you can put a ring on it. Right? You can promise to be faithful and loving and selfless for as long as you both shall live, which means promising to do the hard work, not the easy thing, the hard work day in and day out. You can take a shortcut and you can settle for the person you are with, even though you know they hinder your faith in Jesus, or you can dig a ditch and you can break up and you can seek out a significant other who actually pushes you to grow in your faith. We can do the hard work and we can watch God move. Parents, raising kids is hard. Can I get an amen to that? 
This week has been brutal, kids going back to school. And I know for me at this stage of my life, if I'm looking to take a shortcut, it's when it comes to my kids. Because when my kids are misbehaving, when they're struggling to listen, when they're interrupting constantly, when they have super high emotions, when they're talking back to me, whatever it is, right? I can take a shortcut and I can go straight to discipline. I can do what my parents did. I can yell, I can hit them, right? I can send them to their rooms without having a conversation just because I don't want to deal with it. I can take a shortcut, I can blame other people. I can say that it's that kid's fault or that teacher's fault or that parent's fault. Or I can dig a ditch and I can spend some time talking with my kids and trying to figure out what is going on in their lives. I can give them the time of day that they need, even though I'm tired from work and I want me time. I can set boundaries. I can teach them to take responsibility for their actions and the decisions that they make. We can do the hard work and we can watch God move. When it comes to our kids and their faith and relationship with Jesus, we want them to grow to love God and love people, but that is so hard. Right? It's hard because he asks hard questions that we don't always have the answers to. It's hard because it takes more than just showing up at church every once in a while. So we can take a shortcut and hope that someone else is having conversations with them about faith. We can tell ourselves we're doing better than our parents did, or we can dig a ditch. We can ask them every single Sunday on the way home, which one thing you learned at church today? We do that with our kids. And the other day we asked Harper, and we're like, what did you learn at church today? And she said, mittens. And I was like, I don't know what they're doing back in Collective Kids, but I guess we're going to talk about mittens for the next 10 minutes, right? It's not always easy. They don't give you real answers sometimes, but you ask those questions, right? As a parent, I can change my schedule. I can make Sunday mornings a priority. If you have a middle school or a high school, you can make Youth Collective on Wednesday nights a priority over sports, over clubs, over a night off, because you know their faith is more important. We can do the hard work and watch God move. Last one, when it comes to our faith, like we want to feel close and connected to God, but that's not always easy. So we can take a shortcut. And instead of reading our Bible, we can read dailyverses.net or only read scripture when someone else posts it online. Or we can dig a ditch. We can set aside time. We can wake up early. We can open up our Bibles because we know that reading scripture daily will grow our faith. It will also help our mental health. It'll give us wisdom when it comes to our kids, right? All the things that we are struggling with, scripture is the answer. Going back to the story about Jesus, what did he do every single time he was tempted to take a shortcut? He quoted God. He didn't quote social media. He didn't quote his mama. He quoted scripture. So we can dig a ditch and set aside time and wrestle with it. Right? We might not always understand what we're reading, but at least we're doing it. In our faith, we can take a shortcut. We can make excuses about why we don't take next steps. We're too busy. We served in church for years, so we've paid our dues. We don't want her grandma's feelings when we get baptized. We're too nervous. We don't feel like we need to take next steps to be close to God. Or we can dig a ditch and own our growth, and we can actively pursue the next step in our faith, and the next step in our faith, and the next step in our faith. We can do the hard work and watch God move. Right? And I could keep going, students. Right? We want good grades, but not the studying and hard work that goes with it. Dig a ditch. We want recovery, but not the programs and the accountability. Dig a ditch. We want the physical health, but we don't want to go to the gym or watch what we eat. Dig a ditch. We want healthy and life-giving and real relationships, but we don't want the vulnerability. Dig a ditch. When we are facing trials in our lives, we can take a shortcut, though it will always lead to more destruction, more pain, more brokenness, 
that will lead to a life that falls short of what God wants for us, or we can do the hard work and watch God move. We can dig ditches. And I know this feels like the harder thing to do, and that's because it's the harder thing to do, right? This is harder to do the right thing in your marriage and in your faith and in your parenting and in your career and in your relationships. That is the harder thing to do. And shortcuts are so enticing. But we know shortcuts don't work. They just don't. And so when we're going through something in our life, when we're going through something hard in our marriage or in our faith, Satan will do everything he can to convince us there is a better way. Ultimately, he's trying to convince us to take the easy way out because his goal is to kill, steal, and destroy all the good things in our life. But in order for us, in order for God to do something that's easy for him, we often have to do something that's hard for us. We have to dig a ditch. And when we do, this is what happened. This is 2 Kings, verse 20. It says this, the next morning... About the time for offering the sacrifice, there it was, water flowing from the direction of Edom, and the land was filled with water. So whatever hard thing you are going through or will go through that you want to give up on, whatever trial you're experiencing where you're hoping for a shortcut or an easier way or a loophole or a hack, take a step back and ask God what ditch he wants you to dig and do the hard work so God can do what is easy for him to do. So God can grow our faith, so he can heal our marriages, so he can give us the wisdom to lead our kids, so he can give us the discipline to care for our spiritual health and our mental health and our emotional health, right? We dig a ditch so he can fill the land with water. Let's pray. God, one thing I know is true uh, about life and really about this church is uh, every single person in this room is going through something right now. God, we are all struggling um, with a new schedule, a new normal, new careers. God, we're struggling with uh, raising our kids. We're struggling in our marriage. We're struggling uh, to make good decisions. We're struggling uh, with the people we spend time with. God, we, we are constantly in trials. And God, I know for me, uh, I often just want relief. I want a break. Um, God, I want a shortcut. I want a way out. Uh, But God, we know through our own lives and and through scripture that when we take those shortcuts, it might feel good in the moment, but eventually it leads to more pain and more destruction, more trials, more uh, wrestling with taking the easy way out. So God, I pray that whatever trial we're in right now, whatever hard thing we're going through, whatever thing we're wrestling with, God, I pray this week, instead of looking for the shortcut or the easy way out or just avoiding it altogether, God, I pray that we dig a ditch. God, I pray that we do the hard work. We make the hard call. We have the hard conversation. Um, God, we we do the hard thing and we choose vulnerability and honesty. Um, God, we do the hard thing and we cut things from our schedule or rearrange our schedule. God, because we know when we do those things, especially when they honor you, God, you show up in incredible ways. And God, I think we're all looking for this refreshment, for this idea of uh, water to pour over our lives. Um, But God, you're asking us to dig a ditch first. So God, give us the courage and the energy and the drive to do that this week. Um, And God, ultimately, we pray that as we do those things, that we see you move, God, that we see you show up. Um, God, that these hard things in our lives turn into refreshing and new and life-giving things. Um, And God, that we know the next time there's another trial, we can trust in you. God, we thank you for what you're doing. We love you and pray this in your name. Amen.